What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Hanging out with Enrique Rubio on this episode of the podcast. He is the founder and global head of Hacking HR. He started his background actually in Venezuela in engineering and then somehow transitioned into HR and inspiring people and how organizational uh, fit with people and how you grow companies and the importance of people behind every organization. This episode is phenomenal. It's a fascinating story. And not to mention the dude wakes up at like four in the morning to go run like 180 miles or something like that. I don't know, maybe a little exaggeration, but he inspires you to get up and get out of bed. And this, uh, this episode's fantastic. So check it out. Thanks. Hey everybody. I'm hanging out with Enrique Rubio. He is the founder of Global Hacking HR he is just a phenomenal human being. It's fun. We're uh, we're getting the chance. He's based in Washington D.C. I'm here in Michigan. We're doing a little uh, we're doing a little over the web podcast, and this will be a fun conversation. So, Enrique, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's a it's a fun conversation early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> get us both out of bed and uh, get us getting after the day. So, Enrique, can you, uh, can you just share a little bit about your background and just what life has led up to this point? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for having me. And a little bit of my background, I started my career about 20 years ago, and uh, I, I, I went to school for electronic engineering. So I worked in telecommunications for about uh, 10 years in my career, at the very beginning of my, my professional career. Then I switched to HR, which is what I'm doing right now, human resources, and I have been in HR for about 10 years now. So 
you know, professionally, I bring this background of sort of the mindset of an engineer, which is sometimes it's a, it depends from where you see it. It could be very fun or it could be very complicated. So, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I'm sure like, you deal so, with some people who probably think you're really frustrating and some people will probably love you and there's nowhere in between. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, it's like this very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. You know, it's like, you know, you're either very good or like we hate you. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a very, it's a fun thing to have, right? I, you know, I, I really appreciate that kind of background because, you know, the engineering mindset gives the possibility of solving problems in a very unique way. So you see, you know, you see things, you see patterns, you see sort of a structure you give, uh, you know, you follow processes and, you know, you think in terms of, of, of managing sort of the solution of the problems that you want to deal with. So that mindset is really relevant for the kind of things that I'm doing today. And especially for HR, because in HR, the work that I'm doing in HR, and most people in HR normally come from, you know, they, they are lawyers and they are, um, you know, psychologists. And, uh, you know, normally their mindset is very different from that, that of an engineer. So I think that, you know, having these two backgrounds, uh, an engineer and now working in HR for the past 10 years, really gives me a very broad perspective on how to, uh, how to see things, you know, sort of working in any given organization, how people sort of work and how we can, you know, use some of the tools that I've learned before to, you know, uh, solve complex problems uh, at organizations and, you know, problems that people may be dealing with. So it's a very fun thing to have. So that's my professional background. So that's, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, you may tell by my accent that I am not from here. I, I was, uh, I'm from Venezuela. I moved to the U.S. eight years ago and I, I, I came here to complete my master's degree. And I've been here ever since, you know, so it's been a fun experience and, uh, you know, working, creating things, having fun conversations and trying to get this country and, uh, you know, people, companies ready for the future of work, which is what I'm doing with Hacking HR. Yes, I love it. So if my math is correct, you were an engineer for 10 years, but you moved to the United States, you said eight years ago. So most, yeah. of, your, most of your engineering background actually was in Venezuela. Is that correct? Oh. All of it, yeah. All of it was in Venezuela, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I never practiced engineering here in the U.S. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you think you would have stuck around engineering if you were here in the U.S., or do you think you were ready to be done with it no matter where it was? <laughs> that's a great question, <laughs> and um, it's a great question because sometimes I think about it myself, right? Like the sense of like, what if I had stayed in engineering? What if I had stayed doing what I was doing before? Yeah. I think I would, be in a, I would be in a very different place right now, right? You know, HR, I love working with people. And, and, but the problem with HR is that it's one of those functions that, you know, you have to do. But, and if you don't do it, people would notice. But people don't notice when you do it well, right? So it's like, well, you know, like HR people normally get paid less than everybody else. You know, they get less resources to do things. And they are less innovative. So, so... You know, I think, I, but, but I love doing it. So I, I think that, you know, if I was in engineering, I, I, I may be right now in a different place in my, in my career. You know, I, I don't know what that place would be, but definitely a different place. Um, but I don't think the fact that I, that I, you know, moving to the U.S. would have made a difference. I, I, I actually, it's funny because I, I, I started engineering, electronic engineering, because my dream, my, my teenager and, 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 you know, child's dream was to be an astronaut. And, you know, in Venezuela, we don't have 
you know, you cannot be an astronaut in Venezuela. So the closest thing to being an astronaut in Venezuela was to be an electronic engineer and then come to NASA and do something here in the U.S. But that changed, of course, over time. And uh, I found out that I'm claustrophobic, so I, I wouldn't have been able to be an astronaut. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah that probably, wouldn't, probably wouldn't have worked out too well. So no, no, yeah. Was that, the, was that the biggest switch? Basically, you realized you couldn't be an astronaut, so you decided to switch to HR. <laughs> no, no, that was not the big switch. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think you know, when I was working as as a, as an engineer, part of my work at some point in my career was to um, I started working with with clients, you know, because I was developing and delivering solutions for them uh, in telecommunications. So I discovered that you know I liked doing technical stuff, but I was very, very passionate about working with people. So I, I started thinking, you know, what is the closest thing that, you know, uh, that I could do that could get me close to working with people? And I, I sort of realized that that was the chart. You know, I could have been in sales or marketing, but I thought, you know, I like working with people and for people. I like delivering solutions for them. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe uh, human resources would be the best place or the right place to, you know, switch careers. And that's how it happened. You know, I, I think by that point, I had already sort of made up my mind about the fact that I was not going to be an astronaut because I was claustrophobic. So, and uh, so then, you know, I was like, well, you know, I, I could continue to be an engineer or I could switch. And I, then I switched to HR and uh, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all she wrote. Love that. So with, um, I guess I got to figure out the best way to ask this question. So, I have a couple friends who are engineers and I know a lot of the way they think is very mechanical, very rational, very step-by-step -step process. This fits into that and just have this very, uh, this very clear cut vision of the way they view things. And sometimes now this is a generalization and somebody's probably going to rip me apart for saying this, but sometimes <laughs> that can be a challenge when interacting with people. And so yeah. have you, had that struggle of transitioning from a very rational, methodical approach to work to all of a sudden dealing with people, which people are, I'll just say, not that. <laughs> like, have you yeah. had that struggle or is that something that was pretty natural for you? I think it was more natural for me, but nonetheless, I, I, I had to deal with some of that uh, uh, as well because you know, and, and this is true actually for this new world of work that we're that we're living in right now. You know, when you one thing that people don't realize is that no matter what you do professionally, we are going to have to deal, uh, or we're going to have to learn how to deal with chaos and, and uncertainty and volatility, and you know the fact that things change too fast and the the process that you know the step by step process that we had originally designed in our minds for to do something, that process not only may not be relevant or valuable anymore is that even when we design a process then the next the day after some technology or something happens that completely changes that process so to me it was very natural because i think i've been very one of the things that i've been very um you know i i would say sort of successful in my in my in the way i think I, I, or the way i see it is that I, I, I'm, I'm flexible, right? So I, I have learned how to deal with this kind of chaos. And humans are chaotic in the way we think, you know, we, we want one thing one day and then we want another thing the other day. And, you know, working with people is very complicated. So I think it came naturally to me, but for some other folks, I know it's a struggle. And, and let me give you some examples of that. You know, there are people who are, they are 
technical expert in any given field, and when they are given leadership responsibilities to lead other people, they suck. And they suck because they hate it. Because they, and I've had friends tell me that, uh, you know, they've come to, come to me and they've said, Enrique, you know, I am great at my technical work. I am an expert. You know, I am the top notch in this or that thing. But the moment that they put me to lead a team of four or five people, I started doing everything bad. You know, both my technical work and leading people because they are not meant to do that. Uh, so for some people, that struggle is real because the way they operate is that they are good technically. You know, they can sit down and solve a problem. They can think through stuff, you know, step by step. But working with people is never a step-by-step process, so that's very complicated for them. So for me personally, it came more naturally, but I do know that what you're saying is true. And and some people really, really struggle with that. Uh, you know, if they ever have to make that transition, they do struggle with it. Yeah, so do you think that was part of your inspiration behind uh, jumping right into hacking HR and creating that, you know, just creating that organization? You know, yeah, part, part of my inspiration to, to do the work with Hacking HR, which, which is basically a global community of, of HR and business leaders getting ready for the future of work. So part of my inspiration behind that was to, first of all, because I wanted to bring, to close the gap between what, what's happening in the technical or technology world and what's happening in the HR world. Unfortunately, very often our HR folks, our HR colleagues, uh, you know, uh, you know, HR people in general, they do not feel really comfortable working with technology. And uh, that is a problem today because even though our world is changing for many different reasons, perhaps the most um, powerful one is technology. Technology is driving a number of decisions, a number of changes uh, in an extremely fast way, fast, ma- fast manner. So, you know, in HR, we need to be comfortable with that. We need to be comfortable with not only using technology, but also thinking how to use technology and how to do our work differently. So, you know, my, not only my transition from engineering to HR, but also my background as an engineer and, you know, as, a, as an electronic engineer, you know, they both were very, uh, they, were, they, they were fundamental for me to create Hacking HR because I really wanted to close this gap. And I continue doing that work, you know, with Hacking HR, trying to close the gap between what's happening in the innovation world, in the digital transformation world, in the technology world, with what's happening in the people's world. So closing that gap is very complicated, but, you know, uh, somebody has to do it, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Way to dive right into that. What would you say is your biggest goal with Hacking HR? My biggest goal, you know, I had a phone call today with we were creating the Hacking HR chapter in Sydney, Australia. And somebody asked me the same question. And one thing, I just, just want to you know, use some one data point to, to sort of, uh, you know, uh, help people visualize, visualize what, I, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do. Last year, McKinsey released a report saying that anywhere between 375 and 800 million people around the world could be replaced by technology. Their jobs could be replaced by technology over the next 12 years. So we're talking about one third, 30% or more of the global workforce being replaced by technology in an extremely fast period of time, just 10 years or so. And when I think about how we're gonna solve the, the social pressure, the social problems, the political problems, the economic problems that this transition or this transformation will create, I also realize that they won't be solved by a single city or a single country 
we need to have more of a global mindset to solve this problem because you know 800 million people are not just in the US or not just in China or not just in Europe they are everywhere in the world so to me the goal with hacking ATAR is to build or to create a global interconnected community where people can get together to put their heads together think together on how we are going to cope with these very, very complex challenges as we transition into this new world of work. So that to me is goal, the biggest goal, create this global community of people supporting each other, learning from each other, helping each other out, collaborating with each other. And ultimately, you know, hopefully we're gonna be able to, to you know, influence our decision makers, you know, our, our political leaders, our you know, legislators to, you know, to create policy that really protect people as we transition into this very technified future of work. So that's, yeah, that's I, a little bit of my, my, my goal. I love that. I mean, that's phenomenal. And it's interesting to start, start to follow some of that. So I, my business uh, is in one way, shape or form, somewhat one of those technologies that could remove some jobs. And it's just interesting how my personal focus is very people centric, but my business is actually a platform. I mean, we're, we're a video interviewing, video assessment tool. And so a lot of times, you know, there's theoretically a rationale that you could remove somebody from uh, a staff who doesn't need to do as many phone screens anymore, get them to do other jobs. But then when yeah. you begin to think about the future of work in, in some of that as well, you could also have new jobs be created through the use of technology. So it'll be interesting yeah. to sort of the secondary byproduct of, you know, 800 million people in the workforce are going to be out of jobs, but what are the new jobs that are going to be created and how do we catch the trend so that those, you know, idle people who don't have jobs are being paired up with the new jobs that are be, being created in that too. So I think that's, that's fascinating work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let, let, let me tell you something about that. You know, I have been very optimistic about the future of work, but you know, if I, if, if you had asked me this question about, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, uh, you know, 99% of me is optimistic and 1% of me is realistic slash pessimistic. Yeah. But that realistic, pessimistic, you know, percentage has been growing over time <laughs> because I have, I have realized that we are, you know, yes, we're going to be creating new jobs. Actually, there was another report. I don't know if it was by Deloitte or um, um, I can't remember right now saying that 85% of the new jobs that will be created by the year 2030 do not exist today. So we're going to be creating new jobs, so we're going to need a new set of skills and whatnot. But, you know, in all honesty and in reality, when you think about 800 million jobs, I'm sorry, jobs being replaced, yes, by technology, I don't think we're going to be able to, to, to sort of re-skill 800 million people to do the new jobs that, we'll be, that, we, that we will need. That's, that's not going to happen. Just think about in the U.S., there are about five or six million truck drivers in the U.S. So, you know, once we have self-driving technology fully uh, developed and, you know, functioning out there, I don't think it's going to be possible for us to reskill five million truck drivers to become, you know, to, to, get, to get into any of the new jobs that are, will be created. Maybe we're going to be able to retrain, what, 10% of them, you know, 500,000 people or maybe maybe 1 million, but not 5 million, that's not impossible. So, so to me, the fact that maybe, you know, 50, 60, 70% of all these people won't be able to, to, to enter the workforce again, because the new, the new kind of jobs that we're creating will require a set of skills that 
not because they are complex. It's just because we won't they, they won't they won't be enough for everybody. I think it's going to be uh, that's going to be complicated. And, and again, you know, this may sound very pessimistic, uh, but if you look through our throughout our history, every time of change, you know, in every industrial revolution that humanity has ever gone through, we the end goal ended up being better, right? Like if you if you, if we were in the first industrial revolution today you know, 50 years, you know, 80 years down the road, we knew that the goal would have, was better. But the transition between a state, the first state, and the ultimate state, that transition was painful. You know, people had to migrate from, you know, from the countryside to the cities. They lived in very inhumane conditions, you know, cramped, without health, you know, no jobs, you know, being sick, no health. Uh, so that was very complicated. I think we're in a different place right now, but the transition between where we are today and this new, uh, this future of work, which may happen, is developing right now. But you know, maybe the the realization of it will come in you know 10 or 15 years. This transition, I think, is going to be very, very complicated, very complicated, because the things that we saw in the past happening in you know in 50, 80 years period of time, now we happen in just 10 years and. You know, ten years go by pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it moves pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, you know, it's uh, again, you know, I continue to be very optimistic, but my realistic side continues to kick in, telling me we gotta do more, we gotta warn people, we because you know we we have to get them ready, and uh, you know, on top of that, there's this other thing where where we have you know, some massive companies investing on these things. You know, you have the Googles, the Microsoft, the Facebooks, the, you know, the Apples investing in all this technology. And I don't want to have a world domi- dominated by, the, by those companies, just like four or five companies, you know, like four or five people making decisions for 8 billion people. So what's the best way to avoid that from happening is just by getting involved. So part of what we're doing with Hacking HR, for example, is, you know, encouraging people to get involved in the decision-making process on how technology will uh, sort of take the implementation of technology will take place in the workplace so that you know we can all have a little say on the things that are happening <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um so quick transition in the conversation because there's something i want to i want to make sure we're touching on a little bit so looking at your background you okay if we transition real quick oh absolutely yeah cool looking at again your- i'm, 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 I'm- I'm a chameleon. I can go from one topic to the other quickly. I figured, I figured you'd be okay with that. The fact that you were okay with no no questions beforehand, no agenda, I figured you'd be all right with this. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, you started out. You started out obviously uh, mechanic or uh, electrical engineering. You've been in project management for engineering, and then all of a sudden there's this interesting step up. So you you become president and CEO of a company. Then basically from there after you're either a co-founder, CEO, podcast host. You're an advisor, co-founder, you know, all these different things. So what in you inspired to go from, hey, I want to work alongside groups to I want to, you know, dive in myself and be the founder, the owner, start something up. What what shift happened in your in your head to start that? Um, you know, I think there's there's some people have a drive, you know, in themselves. You know, there's there's something in there that tells them, you know, that you can either live a kind of life where you conform with just being an employee, you know, all your life and, you know, working and retiring and enjoying your retirement, 
And that's okay. You know, I don't judge that. Some people enjoy that and that's totally fine. But for some other people, there's something inside telling them, you know, you got to take risks. You know, like the adrenaline of life comes from taking risks. And, you know, those risks are not, I mean, it's not that you're going to take a risk of like, you know, jumping from an airplane without a parachute. I mean, because, oh, maybe I survived. You won't, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going you're gonna to die. But, you know, it's taking measured risks. And to me, that kind of thing is within me, right? It's the thing of, you know, I got to take risks and I got to do something that where I myself feel challenged. Because if I don't feel challenged, I feel that I'm dead. Honestly, you know, if I don't feel professionally challenged, I feel that there's, there's something missing in, in my life. Uh, so there's that component of, you know, there's something in me that is telling me, you know, let me look for the challenges, for the adrenaline, uh, you know, to take some risks. And there's also this idea of what can I do to add more value? And this is a question that I always keep in mind. What can I do to add more value to others? And if you look at my career, you know, I, when I was working as an electronic engineer, at the same time, I had created a, a nonprofit called the, the School for Social Entrepreneurs in Venezuela. So I would go every freaking weekend, every weekend, I would go to the slums in Venezuela where very, very poor people were living to deliver training on leadership, on project management skills, and some of the things, because I, because I found adrenaline in that, and I found the way to add value in doing so. I was thinking back then, you know, I'm talking about 15 or 20 years ago, I was thinking, well, you know, I have all these skills. How can I use them to help others at the same time? So, so what happened throughout my career is that I've had that thing inside me and it, 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 it continues to be there just like the first time that I felt it was there. And it's the thing of, you know, I have to find what really keeps me challenged, what really keeps the adrenaline high, and what also keeps me adding value to the life of others. So it's a combination of being a little selfish in the sense of what gives me the challenge and a little bit of altruism of what gives what in me can give others value to, you know, for, you know, to make their lives better or to, you know, contribute to society and whatnot. And that's in me, man. And, you know, some people, some people have that and some people have it in different ways. You know, for some people, that thing within themselves is realized through their full-time job, you know, and they think, well, you know, I'm doing my full-time job and this is the way I give back to society and I find the challenge in life. To me, it just comes in a different way. It comes from transitioning from one thing to the other. It comes from learning. It comes from podcasting. It comes from failing and doing it again, you know? So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the way I, I think I've lived uh, uh, most of my life right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that you, uh, you hit the nail on the head as far as the transitional question that I was going to ask following that right up. So my favorite question to ask all guests on the show is this. What gets you out of bed in the morning the most? I mean, what is it that is that that fire that no matter when times are tough, times are great, you know, that high that you don't need caffeine or whatever it is like you just you're just on top of life. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning that, that helps you inspire other people? Um, well, to me, for me personally, like very individually for me, it's uh, running. I, I, I am a, I'm a long distance runner. And you know, to me, the fact that I'm I can coming, so get you know, up, I'm coming to I'm coming to DC because I might need to get on a training regimen if that's the case. Then, <laughs> oh man, just just come in and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get you on it, man. Uh, I'm gonna get you on it and 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 happy to happy to help. But but yeah, you know, it's to me, it's running. 
and I, I wake up very early in the mornings. You know, I, I'm up anywhere between 3 and 3.30 a.m. in the morning, and then I, I go out for my run. And uh, so running for me is the one thing that I know that I'm always going to be doing. Sometimes I, I may have a lot of work one day. Some other times I may not have that much to do. Um, and but I don't I don't I don't wake up just thinking about work. I wake up thinking I'm gonna go and get my run, and uh, that's the time because I don't listen to music when I'm running or anything, you know. So I go out, and you know I I I could go anywhere between one hour to ten hours run. So um, so what happens is that as I'm running, I'm using my mind, which is you know basically distracted in nature to either think, create, solve some of the problems that, we've, that I've been dealing with at work, uh, add value in my mind, and then to make it happen in the real world. Um, so it's, it's just running. I mean, to me, running is the most powerful thing that I uh, that, that gets me going. And then, of course, on top, that's the very individual reason. And then on top of that, there's a more sort of a, a public reason, so to speak, which is, you know, how can I use this day to make uh, you know, to make others' lives easier, better, and uh, I do that through hacking a tar. I do that in my job. I do that in different ways. So, so it's a that's again, you know, I live my life in a combination of how what 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 gives me, you know, uh, 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 meaning in life, and how can I use what I know and what I am to help and add value to others. So it's that combination, um, so to speak. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. Enrique, this has been uh, this has been amazing. This has been awesome. I love the fact that I, I want to make sure the audience knows this podcast was uh, completely off the cusp. I mean, we were I was coming up with questions <laughs> from the fly and you were handling it on the fly. So this is these are the ones that I, I think are so fun because it's like you actually you really get to know somebody and know somebody like right off you know, right out the get go. So this has been a blast. So thank you so much. Is there any any closing thoughts or anything you want to leave the audience with no this is good matt I, I really appreciate it and it was it was all great and and i i hope that you know your listeners you know one they find a reason to uh you know to to find the adrenaline in their lives you know for some people again for me it's you know it's running it's transitioning um especially running it's you know it's one of the things that gives me the most adrenaline in life so you know find find that you know find what gives you that adrenaline, you know, what gives you, what really helps you live a meaningful life. But at the same time, find the things that you have, that you are, that can add value to others. So, you know, so that it's not just a life for you, but it's a life for you and for others as well. So I think that's the best life to live. Um, and I'm hoping that your listeners can have some reflection time to, to think about what gives them meaning and what in them can be helpful and valuable for others, for society as a whole. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Enrique. This uh, this is a great way to start an early morning for me, and I'm I'm excited. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much, and uh, you know, get on running, and uh, you know, talk to you soon. Then. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks. All right. Bye.